Right. 1 John, chapter 2, verse 28. And I'll start reading from there. When I was um, busy completing my sermon preparation yesterday, a girl was saying to me, do you think it's really appropriate to be preaching on this particular subject, um, given all the changes that have been happening in the country? And um, I just went back to the Lord and, and, and prayed it through with him and got a sense from the Spirit that, yes, it was appropriate, and I'll tell you why as we move on. But let's, let's begin uh, in chapter 2, verse 28. God's children and sin. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he's righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray or deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. And this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Yesterday was a very momentous day, but I'm going to be talking about a day which is far more momentous, and every one of us is going to come to it. And John begins the section by drawing his attention to the return of Christ, the day of the Lord. Have you ever wondered what it's going to be like when Christ returns? Will you be able to approach him with confidence? Or will you cower and shrink away in shame? And this is what John is talking to us about today. He's wanting us to be able to walk in confidence so that when the day of the Lord comes, we can have confidence. I can remember on several occasions as a teenager um, checking the sky before I started to sin intentionally. (laughs) And the reason why I did it was because I'd heard that Jesus was going to come back on the clouds with the sound of a trumpet. So I thought if there's no clouds in the sky, then I'd be safe on that particular day. Um, (laughs) Into the the interesting workings of Ian Ray's mind. (laughs) I won't tell you what the sins were. I'm sure you're dying to know. But if he'd come at that moment, I would have shrunk away in shame. And Peter makes it clear, however, that we can live in confidence. And I think it's really important that we learn how to live in confidence. Because the day of the Lord is coming, 
whether we die or whether he returns before that, but we will stand before him one day, and it's going to be a very significant day. So what is the key to confidence? Well, John commands us to abide in Christ. To what end does he command us that? He commands it so that we would have confidence when Christ returns. Very clear. Now, little children, abide in him. It's a command. Purpose, so that when he appears, we may have confidence. So if abiding in Christ gives us confidence, what does it look like? What does John mean when he says that we should abide in Christ? Look at verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who also practices righteousness is born of him. And so in that verse, verse 29, John introduces that phrase, practices righteousness. And then he repeats that phrase many times, and he also repeats the opposite of it, which is practices sin or practices lawlessness. And he does it over and over again in the next 11 verses. So the point that he's getting across is that abiding in Christ, the thing that gives us confidence, is practicing righteousness. That is to say, following Christ's example of a life lived in obedience to God. And now you can see why John told his readers in the previous passage, you'll remember this from two weeks ago, to let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. What was he referring to? Well, when we unpacked that command, we realized two weeks ago, we realized that he was talking about the word of God abiding in us. And it means to make sure that we allow the word of God to abide in us all the time. How? By reading the Bible, studying the Bible, meditating on the Bible, singing and listening to worship songs, reading books about the Bible, and listening to teaching on the Bible itself. Why is that so important? Because if the word of God abides in you, then you will be able to discern what God's will is. And living righteously is living according to God's will and living according to his standards, the standards of, that he wants to impose on us. So, to practice righteousness then is abiding in Christ. And abiding in Christ means to follow his example of a life lived in obedience to the will of God. Let's dig a little bit deeper now just to see what practicing righteousness actually means. And Peter gives us something to work with in verse, in verse 4. He says, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. So to practice righteousness, I think it might seem obvious to you, is the opposite to practicing sin. And that is the same as practicing lawlessness. But what is lawlessness and why is it such a dangerous thing? Well, David Pawson defines it. And he says, lawlessness is believing that you are not responsible or accountable to anyone but yourself. I'm not sure about you, but deep down there are many occasions when I would rather not be responsible or accountable to anyone else, whether it's God or some other entity. And I, I battle sometimes to submit. Do you? Lawlessness. 
I know that you guys do battle to submit um, because I can remember a few occasions in, uh, years ago when Dave or Chrissy would stand up and say, wouldn't it be wonderful if everybody raised their hands? Um, now, whether they had valid authority to ask you to raise your hands or not is another matter, but immediately what happened was a whole lot of people would fold their hands. <laughs> we don't like to submit, do we? We don't like other people, especially us Western middle-class people. We don't like to submit to other people. And we have a problem with lawlessness. And over the years, I've seen members of this church, and this is very sad, move in with a partner in direct disobedience to the clear will of God. And they did it because it was convenient to do so. And I'm not talking about people who moved in with each other before they came to faith. They were already professing Christians and they were already attending harvest regularly. It's a very sad thing. I've also been involved in conversations with harvesters, conversations which reveal that that spirit of racism is still alive and well in our hearts. Some of us are walking in a spirit of racism and it is lawlessness. I've also been hugely distressed to hear from several children of harvesters that they, the children, are either sleeping with their partners or have moved in with them. Now our response to this shouldn't be condemnation, it shouldn't be derision, it shouldn't be a sense of superiority, but it is appropriate for us all as a church body to pray and to see whether we've contributed to this problem. Do we truly take the will of God seriously? Or do we make a habit of disobeying His will and allowing His will to be watered down by what the current belief is in the world system? So the key to confidence, folks, is obedience. But now there's a, a very important question. Does that mean that obedience is the basis of your salvation? Let's have a look at that in verse 29. Is obedience the basis of your salvation? We're saying that obedience brings confidence, but is it the basis of your salvation? In verse 29 it says, If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. What we need to look at here is what is the cause and what is the effect. So practicing righteousness goes with being born of God. Practicing righteousness is the inevitable effect or result of having been born of God. And so to show you this, I'm going to look at three verses, verse 29, this one, um, chapter 3, verse 6, just further down in the passage, and chapter 3, verse 9. And it's important to see that John emphasizes this over and over again, that the cause is being born of God. That is the basis of our salvation. The effect is then living in righteousness. How does he do it? And I think we often miss this, folks, because we don't have an understanding or we're not reading this in the original Greek language that John wrote it in. So he wrote it in something that was called Koine Greek, Common Greek. 
And the interesting thing about the Greek language is that the tense of the verb tells you something about the action. You know, a verb is a doing word, it's an acting word. So it tells us, it describes something about the nature of the action. So first of all, in the present tense, that, that phrase, practices righteousness, is in the present tense. And it tells us more than the fact that the action of practicing righteousness happened now, in the present. What it does in the Greek is it tells us that the practice was ongoing. So somebody who practices righteousness is somebody who is in the habit of doing God's will. Yes, they do fail from time to time, but these failures are more like one-off events than a habit or a lifestyle. So practices righteousness is in the present tense, which means it's something that needs to be ongoing, something that we do all the time. The verb born is in something called the perfect tense. And I always get very excited when I find something written in the perfect tense in the Bible. Because it's used to describe an action that is completed, an action that happened in the past, but which has ongoing results for the present and for the future. So when John writes, born of him in the perfect tense, he means that sometime in the past, God gave birth to you, and the ongoing result of that completed action of being given birth is that you practice righteousness. So you can see that the cause is being born of God. The effect is practicing righteousness. So the basis of our salvation is the fact that we have been born of God. And John makes this very clear in his Gospels as well, that it is by grace alone, by, by faith alone, in Christ alone, on the basis of grace alone. Remember those soles. By faith alone, sorry, by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, on the basis of grace alone. Let's see in verse 6 whether this is confirmed. The verbs abide and sin are in the present tense, as you would expect. In other words, they should be, we should be abiding in God on an ongoing basis and we shouldn't be sinning on an ongoing basis. It needs to be more of a one-off event, if at all. <laughs> but the verbs to see and to know are in the perfect tense. So once again, sometime in the past, you had an experience when you saw God, when you knew him, and that experience results in abiding in God and not sinning. Now, my experience of studying the Bible, I've never come across a passage with so many verbs in the perfect tense, and it's because John is emphasizing that it's the birth that counts, and then he's, he's encouraging people to live out that birth by being righteous. Have a look at verse 9. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him. In other words, God's seed. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. Can you see there's, an, there's more cause and effect there? There's two of them. Let's begin with the second half of the verse. Cause, born of God. A completed action in the past tense. In the past. Effect, cannot sin, which is in the present tense. That is to say that the practice of sinning of not sinning is ongoing. Now I'd like you to notice something here. Where it says he cannot sin, 
in the cannot sin, in the original Greek, the, the word there is has not the power to sin. And I think that what John is saying here is that since you've been born again of God, you have that seed, remember the seed that it was talking about, that his seed dwells in us? I think he's talking about the anointing of God. And so we have the anointing of the Holy Spirit in us, which gives us the power not to sin. And so that's why, in a sense, we don't have the power to sin, because we've been given the power to overcome sin. And I think that's a wonderful thing. I draw on that all the time, especially when I, when I um, have a desire to sin and I actually want to sin. And I just say, Father God, I just recognize that your Holy Spirit is in me, that you have given me the power not to sin. And so I'm not going to do it. Please give me the strength, the power steering, if you like, of the vehicle. Now look at the second cause and effect. God's seed abides in you, present tense. In other words, he's in us all the time. Effect, we do not sin all the time. And once again, that seed is that anointing which was mentioned in the, in the previous passage. Do you remember it from two weeks ago? It's the anointing that God gives us of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. It's almost as if we've got that God's DNA in us. So I hope you can see that John makes it clear that we're not born again through obedience. Obedience is the effect of being born again. So why does he tell it, give it to us as the key to confidence? Why does he say, if you want to be confident on the day of Christ's return, then dwell in righteousness? The answer is in verses, chapter 3, verses 1 to 3 as we progress in the passage. Whilst we're on earth, becoming a child of God involves an inner change that is invisible. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. You know, John is just blown away by the fact that God has made us his children. But the world does not know us. In other words, they don't see us or recognize us as God's children. And because that change is not visible or recognizable to the world. And if we keep reading in verse 2, it says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we'll be like him, because we will see him just as he is. Even we cannot see an obvious outer change. That will only come one day when Christ returns and we receive our resurrection bodies. At the moment, in the bodies that we have, we can't see God because he's spirit. But one day when we receive our resurrection bodies and we're changed, we'll be able to see him. But the thing is that we can't see evidence of that on the outside at the moment. It's something that's still going to be coming. So what John is saying here is that you won't gain confidence by looking for a change that is invisible. But you will gain confidence by looking for the obvious result of the inner change, which is obedience. Can you see that? So the key to confidence is obedience. Yet it's not obedience that saves you. Being born of God is what saves you. If you're a child of God, born by him into his family, why would he ever reject you on the day of the Lord? 
But whilst we're on this earth, that inner change is invisible. How can we be confident that that inner change has happened? We see the evidence or the fruit of it in obedience. And that's why it's so important for us to be growing in confidence all the time. And we do it every time that we win a victory over sin. Every time when we say, Father God, thank you so much that you put your seed in me. Thank you so much that the Holy Spirit is in me. You have given me power not to sin, to overcome sin. And we overcome sin. It just gives us confidence that we're on the right track. It is confirming what we already knew, which was that we have been born of him. We've been adopted into his family. And then... I just love what John does. And I spent ages agonizing over this text, trying to follow um, like a logical argument. But I realized in the end that what, what John was doing was that he was giving just almost like a shotgun blast of reasons why we shouldn't sin. Um, and I love these, these reasons because they, they help me when I'm counseling myself to be obedient to God. And they also guard me from being deceived by the world that sin is acceptable and it's okay and that God will overlook it. That's what it says in verse 7. He says, my brothers, don't be deceived. And so I would suggest that these reasons which we're going to look through now, that you, you dwell on them and you meditate on them. Allow them to meditate in your mind so that they sink in your heart. What goes on in our heart, folks, comes into our hearts through our minds. And so we need to sort our thinking out. Let's have a look. Verse 29. If you know that he's righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. So I've just put that in slightly different words. Since God is righteous and I am his child, I should practice righteousness. And we can use that to counsel ourselves. Father God, I'm really feeling tempted to do this. Or, I know that I shouldn't be doing this. And you just think, well, I'm God's child. <laughs> and God is righteous. So I should practice righteousness. I want to do that to honor him. Just think of what Jesus did, what he went through on the cross to give me the power to overcome sin so that I could be born again as a child of God. Why on earth would I want to be doing this? Reason number two, since God is pure and I am his child, I should purify myself. John says there that if we've got this hope in our hearts, and it is a wonderful hope, folks, this is a hope that will get you through the most awful things in life, this hope that one day you will be raised with Christ, given a new resurrection body, no more sickness, no more dying, no more trials and problems. That's the hope that we long for. And it comes because we're his child. And because we have that hope, and because we want to get there, we purify ourselves. Since God is pure and I'm his child, I should purify myself. Reason number three, I got it from the writing in yellow. Since Jesus' purpose was to remove sin, those who practice sin have not seen him or know him. Once again, just think of what Jesus did, what he went through 
to remove sin. What he went through to ensure that sin would have no power over you. Why would I then want to practice sin? Because it would show that I haven't got to know him properly yet. Reason number four. It's in the, in the white writing. Since there is no sin in Jesus, those who abide in him do not sin. If I am in Christ and Christ is in me, I don't carry on doing the same sins. Yes, I do fail from time to time, but I don't practice. I like to think of it in terms of um, giving hospitality, entertaining sin, being hospitable to sin. When you entertain somebody or you're hospitable to somebody, you bring them into your house, you make them comfortable, you feed them, you give them something to drink, you interact with them. Let's not be like that with sin. Let's not invite sin into our houses. Let's not invite sin and, 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 and interact with sin and feed it. No. We don't want to be practicing sin. We don't want to be entertaining sin in our lives. Yes, we do sin from time to time, but let's not be in the habit or practicing it. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Let's not be deceived. Folks, since the devil was always a sinner, those who practice sin are of him. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin, doesn't have the power to sin. He has the power, on the other hand, to overcome sin. So reason number six, since the Spirit lives in me, I don't practice sin. Since I am born of God, I am unable to keep on sinning because I have the power to overcome sin. Seven wonderful reasons. And I think we can summarize them by saying God's children do not keep on sinning because they've been changed into the likeness of their father. Isn't that wonderful? And I just love this because it doesn't depend on our effort. It doesn't depend on our strength. Yes, we are called, I mean, John says there, purify yourselves. We are called to take action, but ultimately the power and the strength comes from God, the power steering, if you like. So just to conclude, obedience builds confidence. Obedience does not cause you to be born of God. That is through faith alone, in Christ alone, on the basis of grace alone. However, being born of God brings an inner change which is invisible. And one day when you get your resurrection body, it will be obvious that you've been born of God. But on earth, the evidence of the inner change is seen in outward obedience to the will of God. And this is why obedience builds confidence. There's some other ways that we can gain confidence taught about in John, but today's not the day to cover those. Let's spend a, a little moment in prayer. If you just wait a moment, I'm just feeling led to a particular verse. I just want to find it. I just sense that maybe... Um, some of us in the congregation today are not clear on the fact that in the world there are children of God, as John describes it in this passage, and children of Satan. And we need to make sure that we are children of God. 
How do we become children of God? Well, John writes in his gospel, to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And maybe you're, you've been sitting in the, in the congregation today and just thinking, I, I don't know yet whether I'm a child of God. Because not everybody is a child of God. It's very clear from these passages from the Bible that it's through receiving Jesus, it's through believing in him that God gives you new birth. And so maybe, maybe that's something that's new to you and you're thinking, I didn't realize that, that I need to become a child of God because there's a common belief that everybody is a child of God. It's not true. Everybody is created by God. Everybody is loved by God. He wants them to be in his family, but not everybody is a member of his family. Not everybody has been born of him. And so if that's the case this morning, then I would encourage you to to receive the Lord Jesus. To, and the way that we do that is by turning away from our self-management, managing our own lives, turn away from our sinfulness and turn towards Jesus and say, I want you to be in charge of my life. I want to become a lawless person, a lawful person, someone who, who is obedient to you and to your will. And if you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross in place of, of you to take your punishment and if you believe that he was raised to new life then you can believe that you can be raised to new life as well as a child of God born again into the kingdom of God so if you'd like to, to pray along those lines um, I'm going to pray now and you can just pray quietly in your heart Lord Jesus, I recognize that I have sinned in my life. I recognize that I deserve the punishment that Jesus received in my place. I would now like to accept the gift of eternal life. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe that he was raised to new life. And I believe that right now you're raising, you've raised me to new life. You've caused me to be born again. And then I'd also like to pray for um, possibly another group of people. Maybe you're in that place where you know that your life um, does not conform to the will of God. That your life does not conform to his standards as taught us in the Bible and as revealed through Jesus. Um, and we just, our hearts go out to you if you're in that place because it's, it's, it's tough to make changes. But remember that God's seed abides in you. Remember that he's anointed you with his Holy Spirit and and he can give you the power and the strength to make those changes in your life, to put your life right before God. It may not take a moment. It may well be a process. In fact, it probably will be a process. But if you just have that desire to put it right 
a desire that doesn't die, if you're not accepting that where you are is fine and, and trying to justify it, then God will work with you because you've been born of him. So just in a moment of quiet, just, um, just bring it before the Lord. And uh, even if it's not gonna take a flicking of a switch, even if it's gonna be a process, just commit yourself to that process of putting it right. Don't live, don't, don't entertain sin, don't be comfortable with it. We should never be comfortable with sin. It doesn't have any place in our lives. Or, um, walk, walking that journey um, is not to be done by yourself. The Bible says, confess your sins to one to another. The Bible says, bear one another's burdens. Find someone who will listen to you without judging you, without writing you off, without coming up with quick advice, quick solutions, someone who will genuinely love you and walk with you and, 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 and help you to overcome whatever it is that you're facing. Father, just in closing, we thank you for this time. Once again, we ask for your, for your blessing, for you to work in our nation. Um, we love you so much. We're so grateful to you, overflowing with joy, Lord, with what hap- what's happened in the last few days. And we put our trust and faith in you for the future as well. All of these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.